Welcome to How to Decorate from Ballard Designs, a podcast all about the trials and triumphs of decorating and redecorating your home. Each week, we'll help you unleash your inner decorator. I'm Caroline, and I'm on the marketing team. And I'm Taryn, and I'm a product designer. And I'm Liz. I head up the Ballard creative team. We're We're your host. Join the expert team at Ballard Designs for tips, tricks, and tales from interior designers, stylists, and other talents in the design world. Plus, we'll answer a listener question at the end of each show. So don't forget to send them to podcast at ballarddesigns.net. Yes, we love answering them. Now, on with the show. Today, we welcome John and Vivian Benzik to the show. They're the founders of Square Feet Studio, an award-winning architecture, planning, and design firm based in Atlanta, Georgia. Their company specializes in smart, simple, and sustainable designs with a goal of creating beautiful spaces that last a long time. Their team has combined backgrounds in architecture, interior design, fine arts, and urban planning. They have created some beautiful spaces for gathering and dining here in Atlanta, the kind of restaurants that you go to for the warm, beautiful vibe as much as you do for the incredible food. We're so excited to have you here. Welcome, Vivian and John. Thank you for having us. We're thrilled to be here. Thanks for having us. It's a joy to be here. Welcome. Tell us, how did you all get started in architecture and design? Well, we met at Georgia Tech in grad school, and I was there in a program that they used to call extended degree. My undergrad degree is in art history and French. And then I had a professor my senior year. I took a modern architecture survey class, like a, a art history class, but just all on modern architecture. And at the end of the class, the professor, um, this is back in the old days, in the 80s, and he passed out analog applications to architecture school. And he was sort of trying to help us see the possibilities with an art history degree if you really enjoyed this modern architecture class. And we had taken survey classes that focused on art history, architectural history. Those options were out there to go to architecture school, even if you didn't have an undergrad degree in architecture. So John was on the program where he has his undergrad in architecture, and we met in the last two years of my, they threw all of us without architecture degrees with the more experienced architecture undergrads. And we met there and worked on a project together, I think, which was kind of nice and started dating at some point after that. The project was in a surrealism class. and I think we had to combine two (laughs) non-synchronous objects and turn them into something else. And I think it was like a potato masher and a pencil sharpener or something. And we had to make something creative from that in the tradition of the surrealists. Um, Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I still have the potato. We still have the potato masher. We can't, we've taken it from, we're in our third house in Atlanta and I, I still have it. I think we used it to make like prints and then combine it into some other thing. It was a lot of Duchamp stuff in that class. Liz, I don't think you mentioned in the introduction that they're a husband and wife team. Did, did you say that? I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> so but, um, you might have, y'all might have picked up on that in the talk of yeah. um, school. Not everybody yeah, takes so. the potato masher with them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's great. But you've been working on projects ever since. We actually started our careers in, on different paths. I started working in one firm. Vivian started working in a different firm. We did get married soon after school. But our paths merged in 2000 when we decided to start Square Feet Studio, which really came about as a result of my path, which was kind of classic architecture, but with the wonderful difference that we did a lot of adaptive use projects. So I was working at King Pile Arts Center in a lot of older buildings, doing really, really 
interesting stuff, particularly at that time. This is the late 80s, early 90s. And Vivian had gotten, um, had been through a couple of different firms and was with the Johnson Studio, uh, which was before they, they joined with Cooper Carey, which was a, a really great restaurant. They still are a great restaurant design firm, but they were separate at that point. And she had gotten more into interior design and we would have these conversations where my projects weren't really finished because the interiors were just kind of empty and you couldn't really even take a picture of them because it was just these empty, empty spaces. And Vivian was getting these assignments where the architect had already kind of put a lot of things in motion, which were sometimes wonderful, but which sometimes Vivian thought, wouldn't it be nice if we could have moved some things around? And that's where we just said, this is silly. You know, we should do this together. The firm should be put together to design this way because that's the way people experience design. You know, they experience it, add a landscape to that, add planning to that. They, they really think about it. Uh, more um, holistically than a lot of times design professionals do. And we thought, well, let's let's design more naturally. Let's try to look at all of it together. And so that's really when we started working together was after we realized what we each were missing uh, in the way we were, we were sort of practicing. Um, and that was a lot of, it was a lot of fun. It was an interesting way to start. And our clients needed that because we were working with some young developers over on the West side, which has turned into done a lot of work over there. And those projects in those adaptive reuse, just amazing old buildings that now it's almost second nature, but they needed a lot of interior design. The bones were good. They needed John for coordinating structural and obviously we do a lot of interior architecture, but it, they needed softening for a new use for that adaptive new use, whether it was retail or restaurant or any number of things. But the buildings themselves would need a light touch, but they also needed softening, I always thought. And I, I was always getting brought in to help pick carpet and paint and sometimes furniture and finishes, which I really enjoy. You talk about like designing holistically, and it's interesting you say that because I always feel that way about really great restaurants. You know, their food coordinates with the menu typeface, which coordinates with the interior design, and like it all has to work together to really like punch you with what the personality and the mood is of the restaurant because you need to like get it as soon as you walk in, you know. And I feel like y'all's restaurants, which anyone who lives in Atlanta has been to spaces that you've designed. I mean, Kimball House, Sid Mashburn even. So, like you said, so many places on the West Side. So how, I'm, I'm curious about this sort of branding and creating a mood because that's something that we all want to do in our own homes as well. But it's, it's, it's y'all make it look so easy. Like, how do you create that? Well, you have a team of experts. We don't, other design firms, they're firms that we really look, look up to and other cities that do in-house branding as well. We have never gotten into that, but we've worked with some of the best in the city, like Alvin Deke at Office of Brothers and Stacey Janik and, oh gosh, you know, lots of other folks. So the branding, we always like them to come in early. Sometimes the client masterminds it, but really the best way is for all team players to talk, whether it's, it's the con that free-flowing communication with what the client is wanting on the design, the interior design, the architecture, as well as what's happening on the graphics. I know the Kimball House boys were one of the best. They were really good. Uh, we reviewed it all, all of Stacy's amazing designs for their logo and um there's a woman um, that was working with Alvin Deke who did the hand drawings. And I mean, so much fun. 
But how do you translate all of that into interiors and fabrics? And especially for, since you mentioned Kimball House, like that is such an iconic space. And you go there because it is a comfortable, like I go there because it's a comfortable space and it's a, it's an intimate space, but it's a big space. Yeah. So how do you, how do you translate all of those concepts into something that feels intimate and yet is for a larger audience? John will probably jump in here. You have to interview your clients. You have to really tease it out of them. And then as you're making decisions with them, one of the biggest things with Kimball House is having the bar in the main dining room as the focal point, because that is the one of the focal points of their hospitality model is that beautiful big bar. We wind up sort of telling a story, you know, almost with the, with the clients, because as you pointed out, there is a lot that goes into it. There's the, the sense of hospitality that they bring. There's the actual layout and the, the workings of it. There's the quality of the food and all that goes together. We're trying to understand all that as we, as to Vivian's point, we interview the clients and try to understand what their, their take is on that. Cause we know that what we're going to do alone isn't going to complete the vision and, and won't be enough for it to be Kimball house. And so with, with Kimball house, there was a great story about the, the hotel Kimball house, which was famous in Atlanta for a period of time. And it really resonated with them because of what hotels were a hundred years ago. They were your home away from home when you traveled and the bartender they had a very strong bartender, Miles McQuarrie, and they wanted to foreground that. But his idea of the bartender was somebody who was your host, not just a mixologist or, or not just somebody to pour your, your, your sorrows to, but actually a, a host, somebody who wanted to make you feel comfortable in this strange city that you were staying in. And so when you start to get into that story with them, and they're all talking about it in different ways, but it's a, it's a common story, then it's, it starts to flow a little bit. You start to think, oh, well, we need to look at this and we need to look at this. And then next thing you know, people find out it's Kimball House and they say, hey, my family happens to own the guards that stood at the foot of the stair of the actual Kimball House. Here they are. And next thing you know, you go in there and the actual two foot tall guards that were a part of the design of the hotel are in the restaurant and all that's going on, but you're not, you're not hitting customers over the head with it, but it helps you make decisions that then you really love. And when you're a server or you're a chef or you're a bartender, it just shows up in how you handle the hospitality and how you handle the food. And that's really what makes them work. So, so we almost feel like we're like the muse sort of trying to draw out what's the bigger story you want to tell here Let's make sure all these things go together. At the same time, to Vivian's point, we can bring tremendous expertise on layout and how things work, tremendous expertise on dimensions and the specifics of different types of seating. But again, we're trying to sort of figure out what's the larger story that we're wanting to tell. And that's the part of the restaurant sector that we operate in. There are obviously whole other parts of the restaurant community that, that, that can operate in, in different ways sometimes. But that's the sector that we got connected with and have become friends with and really just enjoy them as, as people as much as restaurateurs as, as well. And we were just really, really blessed uh, that that happened. It was connections uh, that begot connections. And it's been really wonderful. Are there yeah. tips or strategies that you use to like 
I guess, sort of narrow down the essence of the brand or the personality that we could use for our own homes. You know, I think sometimes figuring out your own personality and what you want to express is hard. I was just going to say editing is certainly one of the biggest things we do. The people we work with, again, we're blessed. They're very creative. Uh, and a lot of a common refrain, actually with Sid, we talked about how he had enough idea for enough ideas for 10 stores. And we were like, so let's just do one. <laughs> first <laughs> and, 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 and then see what else we could do. And, and sometimes a budget, you know, helps with some of that. Um, but editing is, a, is definitely a major part of the process. And it's just about cutting things back to their essence. What is really, really important? What do you have to have to make this work? And then maybe we add to that. But a lot of times that's right where you want to be is when it's sort of just right and just enough. <laughs> do you think that's what people do wrong in their own homes? I suppose they aren't good at editing their own vision? Well, I think you have to think about how you're going to display things. You know, we talk about layouts and that sort of thing. One of the things I was thinking about with Kimball House was that we did these this those really tall bookcases over the two curved banquettes, and they are a secondary focal point to the bar. And it's because the owners wanted a place very much like we want in our homes, a place to display their memorabilia. And what's so warm and welcoming in anyone's home is the memorabilia. And they they self-edited. I mean, there are four partners there and they had, I mean, there's Miles's father-in-law has got amazing taxidermy. So, you know, he probably could have put 15 different foxes up there, but there's just one fox. There's toy mu- musical instruments, I think from Jesse, he's a professional musician. And there's a lot of personal stuff up there and they are... That's the thing is you you get four. Vo- I was just with them the other day working on something, and you get four voices, and now a, f- a fifth voice too. They've brought on Kizzy, who is amazing manager, and he's a partner as well. You want to listen to each of them, and they talk amongst themselves. And so I think one of the things with residential, and I do it too much with my family, but ask the people around you what they think. And I've seen these guys go in and edit and edit each other and come to a better conclusion, say on a paint color, like Miles had on a jacket the other day. I was like, oh, that's a great green. And does that translate here? Yes, actually it does. And I mean, they picked out the wallpaper. I I did the one in the private dining room, but that main wallpaper in there that I think Miles or Brian picked that out and they had just said, no, we really, really love this wallpaper. Let's do that. I said, go for it. It's like, it's again, it's communication, it's editing, but it's asking each other what you think. And sometimes it takes longer that way. It's it's sort of coming to a consensus. Um, I know that can be hard in people's homes because (laughs) John and I'll probably touch on that because I'm always asking him questions. And sometimes he's like, enough, I don't want to hear anymore. Don't don't ask me any more questions. Do whatever you want to do. But I think the editing process is important. And I think I think talking through it's really important. You know, and I know that with the branding, it was the same way. You see, as designers, we want to produce things like, you know, sketches and drawings and finishes and all of that. You kind of lay all that out and then you talk through it and then you sleep on it and you come back to it. I mean, it's a real process. And that I learned that. I went to a wonderful, you know, all these wonderful lectures at ADAC. And I love Victoria Hagen. She's one of my favorites. She's been just a goddess since the beginning. And, you know, she's got these people that give her lots of money to walk. And 
she's walking through a house on the first viewing and you've got these guys, you know, I pictured sort of this you know, computer mogul guy saying, well, what do I do? What do I do? And it's like, hey, I need to think about it. You know, I can't tell you right off the bat what to do. So it takes time. Good design always takes time. Always so important to take time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just maybe to build on that. Maybe refine is a better word than edit. You know, when I sort of used edit, but because but I do think there's a part of design that needs to allow life to happen around it, which life tends to be a little bit messy. And so I think, you know, I do towards sort of tend towards letting design be a little simpler and preserved so that the messiness feels good and, and feels personal and feels like patina and feels like you as opposed to just adding to the mess <laughs> to, 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 to some degree. But yeah, ref- refinement's probably a, a, a better a better term. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. The fine feels so nice. And those oh, yeah. details are just in every, I love hearing about the pieces that are in the bookcase, that those are so personal because it is, the, all of your spaces are really about the details and kind of the at, that essence, like dripping down into every every small detail, which is just so, so beautiful. One of the things I don't want to forget to mention too, John is a whiz with layouts. And I'd say I'm not as strong with that. I'm not a blank piece of paper kind of person. I like to, I've always been brought in after, you know, things have been going. But at Kimball House, which had been the freight room and Depot, the restaurant before that, one of the biggest moves that John made early on was to turn the, the doors. If you walk into Kimball House on the left, there were doors that opened straight into that huge volume into the bathrooms. And that's that's kind of a no-no. You know, I know we talk about residential things. You don't want to like walk straight into a toilet. You, commercial bathrooms, I think, should be. So he moved them around the corner. And that was a coming in, dealing with that wall, filling in. And then that allowed us to put a big, long banquette there for seating. And the the bathrooms are around the side. And then he did the drink rail down the center. Really, those were the two moves, two architectural moves in that space. Very, very simple, very, very light hand in a building that's well over 100 years old, just so you don't have to walk straight into the bathroom from the dining room. That helps. Thank you for saying that, Liz, about the detail, because I think that's something every project can have. It's not budget dependent to decide how to turn a corner or how to put something together. And I think that's one of the unique reasons you hire a designer or or an architect is to put it together more completely and more personally than a a builder would without 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 more instruction. Um, so I, that, that's one of the things that regardless of the budget, I think we really coach and practice and try to try to make happen. And I, and I do mean coach because somebody else is often implementing these ideas. And so we're, we're having to make sure people understand, to Vivian's point, the drink rail, for instance, at Kimball House, we were talking about inches, you know, and, and sometimes <laughs> when you're working with a contractor, inches kind of are not important. <laughs> and we we're like, no, this is really important, you know, to sort of put it yeah. just here and to make sure that the wall is this is this thick. Every project can have Because otherwise it's, it's not as comfortable. I mean, you guys know all the time and effort that goes into furniture design, ergonometrics, all of that. So this custom stuff that we're doing 
is is so important to really think about it. And behind the bar, how many inches is going to be? How big is the ice maker? How big is the dishwasher? How big is the, you know, any number of things back behind a bar? It came down. And that's when you interview the clients, because I am not an expert on that. And most of our clients know exactly how they want their restaurants to function or they want to they want to sort through it. When I hear y'all talking, I'm just thinking like, okay, so what I'm hearing is you need to have a plan and just like refine the plan and keep refining the plan and think about it just because, you know, I feel like often in your own home, you'll just make like an impulse purchase, but there's so much thought that you're clearly putting into your projects and we need to put that own thought into the pieces and the things that we're doing in our homes to get the result that we want. Yeah. Yeah. I think impulse buys are fun too. I mean, I love that because it speaks, something speaks to you and you just do it. A color speaks to you so strongly. You go for it then. I think some of the layout things and some of the more technical lighting is one of those things too. It can be decorative, but then you also want to layer in in restaurants, especially you want lots of different, you want to, you want to set a mood. You know, I think lighting is really important for that. Yeah. We'll, we'll use this sort of generic term found conditions so that, you know, <laughs> we don't say that the lamp is ugly, even if it is, or you know, but if it's important to somebody is a found condition and, and we work with it. Bob, the cat at Kimball house that sits up on Bob the, the shelf is a found condition. I would not have put no, Bob he's... the cat in my restaurant, but you know, they, 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 they wanted to. And that's totally and that's totally fine because in, in the end, we are also a service. And what's important to the client is the most important thing. It doesn't have yeah. to be as important to us as it is to them. We have to respect how important it is to them and, and work with it. And, and and also give honest advice. Let them know what that found condition puts into motion. Because it suggests other things that you may or may not want to do to support that that passionate piece of furniture or rug or piece of taxidermy um, that, that, you know, somebody has. And that's, that's a part of our, our job, you know, that we need to embrace. It's also a great way to learn about somebody. I mean, with those things that they love, like, why did you love it? Okay. So I have a question. Do you allow that same rule for impulse buys in your own home? <laughs> oh God. I am the biggest editor at home. John's John's in this this building stadiums out of Legos, and I think he's gotten into impulse buy. He's going to buy every single Lego stadium, like f- soccer stadium, baseball stadium, football stadium. He's he's on this impulse buy with that. And I don't have we don't have another surface to put them on. We have this wonderful Skylar Morgan built. I designed it, worked through it with Skylar ten years ago, and it's now it's it's walnut with great like seagrass fronts, and it's now got Lego stuff all over it. I, I, I will say I am a big "Why are we doing it?" person generally. Uh, you know, a little bit more so than Vivian, but I also like have tremendous admiration jealousy a little bit for Vivian's ability to intuitively say, let's do this. And maybe like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then it's there. And I'm like, wow, I can't believe we didn't have that before. I can't believe we never thought about that before. Cause I, I can't generally do that. So it's, it's, I have been having some impulse buying lately, although it's not impulse buying, <laughs> but, but, but it's a little unique for me because usually I'm so like, why are we doing it as to 
And that's thank, thank the Lord I'm married to Vivian because she fills in all that space of things that I would otherwise never do with things that she just does. And I, and I love them. Uh, you know, so that's very sweet of you to say, John did one of the best. I learned early on not to, cause we do do, I mean, as much as we like to mesh architecture and interiors, we like to joke with each other about that as well. But we had a, we have a wonderful client that we did a dining room years and years ago. And I brought John through. It's one of the, I have done residential projects on the side for years and um, we did this great trompe l'oeil ceiling. And John was just looking at it for the first time. We had done furniture. In fact, I think we have Pars- the Ballard Parsons chairs that we custom covered with this really cool fabric. And then we did the ceiling. And my client, his name was also John, was looking. He's like, something's missing. We need to. We need something up there to define it. John Benzik walks in and says, you need to just accent. It was you know, one of these sort of tray ceilings, a lot of drywall. We had added this great mural thing. And so he said, just outline right below the crown, just this little subtle line of this a gold, this just little gold thing. And it was perfect. And the client was like, you're right. Oh my gosh. The architect knows exactly what to do. And I will always listen to John. And really we always say within the office too, how important it is to listen to ideas. I mean, that sometimes a contractor has the best idea, sometimes a structural engineer, anyone in the office, when they're not working on a project, it's so important to have that peer review because you can get so in the weeds looking at something. And I was stumped and John walked in and came up with the right thing, the little goal. And it's such a, it's a very frivolous, the room is perfect for these clients. They've since sold the house, but it's a, um, it just suited them. And John came up with the perfect solution to define that crown transition that was happening. So I'll always listen to John. I don't always take what he says, but I always listen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mentioned uh, a second ago, you mentioned mood and I feel like we all need a lesson in that because where better to look for rules about setting a move in a restaurant. I mean, you know, I think often we want to create a mood in our home, but we don't necessarily know how and restaurants are all about the mood. So how do you create a mood in your room in your rooms at home? And are there certain things that we can learn from a from a restaurant design that we can apply to our own spaces? John, you want to start? We sort of a lot of times with our newer team, we'll talk about how restaurants are the perfect project to start on because they've got everything. And I think you could also, I think I've also realized that they also say a lot about, yeah, residential design. A lot of our residential clients call us because they've been to a restaurant that they, that they really liked. Um, and so part of the, the mood, I think, is an incredibly precise understanding of, of space and dimension and just what you need to sit comfortably or to pass comfortably, coupled with qualities of light which in restaurants often rely a great deal on artificial light. But, you know, natural light, when we can get it, is also sort of a great another tool we use. And, yeah, we, we like, in our own house, and, and Vivian and I have some, some, some discussions about this regularly, we've created similar moods in a lot of our rooms. And sometimes we'll be like, I wish we just had that room that was just the mud room or that room that was just the office. But there's a particular mood we like, which is a little bit warm, a little bit cheery, a little bit comfortable and relaxed and well day lit. And so you, you do have to like say, I want that in this particular space because there are some spaces 
that you might want it to be dark or dim or moody or more soft. And I think kind of drawing that out is really a part of the process because we, particularly me, I'm so visual and I will find myself sometimes picking a similar mood for many, many rooms and going, well, wait a second, that's not actually what's best in this situation. With the restaurateurs, with the, those, with the other clients who are uh, who have their own professions and their own needs for their, their guests, a lot of times they give us the best direction. In residential, it's a little bit trickier because they're so looking to us to help them define those moods. And sometimes it's really hard because it's like, we need to hear from you. Where's that space you want to just curl up and read a book? Where's that space that you want to be messy? Where's that space that the dogs can't go into or can go into? You know, Vivian, I think, probably could speak more directly to that, particularly with our own experiences, I think. There's never, and I've learned that from following, you know, residential interior designers, there's never a place where the dogs can't go or the cats or, I mean, I think they should be able to go anywhere. I, I strongly believe in that. I think those days are over of like having the, you know, pristine living room. But I would say, I think John is touching on like what's happened with resident, with re- restaurant work that sort of relates to residential is like what times of days are you in those rooms? And I think back to like the general mirror and bread and butterfly, those are morning places that have to translate to nighttime places because they're open. Well, bread and butterfly is not open super late, but they were in the beginning. They're not open for dinner now anymore, but general mirror is, and they're opened at seven o'clock in the morning and they're doing, you know, it's bright and cheery and there's breakfast and there are lines and there's people are, it's a real active space morning. And then they do spaghetti suppers and that I think, you know, everything's on dimmers. You can kind of make it a little bit more sexy lighting at night, but in general, it's an open, fresh, deli kind of space that serves really amazing food all day long. Bread and butterfly is smaller and more intimate, you know, and you have the darker corner you can sit in or the brighter porch area, which is fun. And it, it's just set up so that you can have a cup of coffee at 7, 8 a.m. or have dinner, a hamburger and french fries at 7 o'clock at night. It should still feel um correct. I'm thinking of some of the other ones. I know we just did the daily, which is open and bright, and there's so much fun color in there. I think our designers on that one just really accentuated just, you know, curves and clean lines, but really pretty colors. And this big mural that's throughout and the furniture that was selected just has, I don't know, it's got a feel to it that feels like welcome to the day. It just has this, the name is the daily. It just feels like this sort of breakfast and lunch place. And that's what it is. I think they close at two or three. So it's not open for dinner and it just has a sort of daytime feel to it. Um, And that's obviously from communicating with the client and picking colors and lighting that, that suits that. And I think for residential, you, you think about like the old school. I know I studied the German housing from, the 1920s, and they would put their kitchen rooms on the east side of the house where the sun is and their evening rooms in the fireplace on the west side where the sun is. We've sort of done that in our, we've luckily, our house in Atlanta kind of has that same orientation, Um, but you can mimic that. If you don't have that, you can still play with your interiors and have that really warm evening space and that really bright functioning morning space. 
I love that idea of thinking about how we move through our house throughout the day and kind of speaking to design through how we how we move throughout the house in the day. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm realizing I do that too. Like I'm in my living room in the morning having coffee because it faces east. And then I gradually yeah. progress west in my house. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah totally. Well, and add to that even more the um, expectations for quality outdoor space. It was already becoming more and more important in a place like Atlanta with the great weather. And now it's an automatic. Uh, I mean, anytime we look to travel or do an Airbnb or be anywhere, it's like, what kind of outdoor space are we going to have? How does it connect to the interior? That's becoming more and more important as well for the same reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Let's talk about outdoor because I feel like that's even more complicated to create a mood. How do you create a mood in your outdoor room? There's so many less items you put out there than inside. Well, lighting plays a big part again as well. I mean, you have to have some sort of structure overhead or, or candles on the tables or, or both. And we've been looking at this for an existing client changing. You know, you don't always want to have concrete beneath you. You want to have some nice pavers or, I mean, you want to approach those, you want very durable outdoor rated finishes, but I think you want to think of it as you've got your, you don't have walls, but you have a floor and a ceiling, which are, I know I heard another podcast, we're talking about the fifth and sixth wall. And I love sitting in a room right now where we've wallpapered the ceiling like 12 years ago, and it's still one of my favorite things. Of course, you can't wallpaper unless you have an outdoor structure overhead. But if you a tent structure where you can put lighting in it and do some really great, if you need to do ceiling fans, any of your outdoor spaces, you really, I like to approach them. And with, I mean, there's so much great outdoor furniture nowadays that you can specify that really brings comfort to the outdoors. And this is obviously, I think a trend that was happening pre COVID, but now, especially our commercial clients are thinking about it really seriously with COVID post COVID. Yeah, I think the key thing is it's a version of the same design process. You just have different tools. You have the textures of, of, of flowers and shrubs, the textures of grasses and, and hard and hardscapes. And yeah, to Vivian's point, the ceiling is a little bit uh, a little bit more of an open, open, open canvas to some degree. But but you got you still are putting it all together. And in our backyard, we have walls that are also seats that also feel like hedges because they have creeping creeping vines coming up them. We have a structure, but the structure is all completely open because we have this great breeze that comes up the backyard and it comes through there. So it's always cooler back there, you know, where we want it to be. And there's a ceiling fan in it to keep the bugs, to keep the bugs away. And then there's some, some uh, uh, indoor outdoor fabric drapes to kind of create a little bit more of an intimate mood when we want to put the candles out there and have a dinner for eight. And it's got a fireplace in it. And you just have different tools and components you can use to create it. I just do think too that the exterior circumstances, the temperature, the sun, the wind, have to really be paid close and honest attention to. You can't kind of ignore them or pretend like you're going to make that go away. If it's a shady part of the yard, it's a shady part of the yard. I mean, you, you can't pretend like you're going to put the pool there because it's going to be covered with leaves or the or, or whatnot. You just you have to treat Mother Nature very seriously, <laughs> particularly with outdoor yeah. spaces, you know, even more so than indoor spaces. Yeah, be honest about right. your conditions. Right. Yeah. 
That is so, I think about that too in our own yard because sometimes it, you want to think there's more sun maybe that you get or more shade than you get. And so you want to plant something and then you're like, this is just not doing, this is way shady. We moved to the house we have now specifically for the yard. We wanted a place with a little less tree cover where we could get some sun and we could just have something different going on. And we had always lived in homes that had a lot of tree cover, which which we loved yeah. for, 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 for what that offered. We're like, we just want that more Mediterranean, more sunny countryside feel, less North Georgia mountains feel, which is what Atlanta basically is yeah. when you let it go. It's, 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 it's kind of North Georgia. So that's why we bought the house we have now. Sitting within the forest, we've got we've got trees all at our perimeter, so we get the leaves, but we and we get the shade when we need it, which is great. But we um, previous owners were retired; I mean, they were master gardeners, and so we kind of just did. We followed what they had the some of the um, structure that they had put in place beforehand. I think maybe it's time for a decorating dilemma. What do y'all think, Liz? Do you have any questions you haven't had answered? No, I'd love to get to the dilemma. And it's a paint color question, which is always a little bit tricky, but I know that y'all will be able to nail it. So <laughs> do you want me to read it, Liz, or do you want to read it? Yeah, go ahead and read it. All right. So this is from Bev, and it's a quick one, which we love when people are, what's the word I'm thinking of? Concise. There you go. I am struggling to find a gray paint color with my north-south lighting. I tried Revere Pewter, but it turned out beige. I tried Repose Gray, but it came out blue. Frustrating and expensive. I think the new Benjamin Moore color Seattle Mist looks beige in the photo. Your thoughts are appreciated. I liked the way that the color looks. I would keep, my, the, John and I talked about this and to make sure that we we're either on the same page or at least could compliment each other in comments. But I would not do a darker gray in there simply because, and because I feel like if you did, I would do something very warm, a warm gray. So I pulled out my fan deck and if Seattle mist is going, I know that one goes a little green and you know, in the photos, you can't tell exactly what the cat, exactly the cast, but I would recommend either calm, Benjamin more calm or lacy pearl. Cause they're a little warmer. They sort of, as you go down the gradations, you know, on there, the, the deep, it goes it just, it casts a little warmer than Revere Pewter or Repose Gray, because I think you've already got, she's already got the blue going on in there, which is great, but I kind of like a creamier color, a warmer color with the blue furnishings she has. That was my first pass on it. Okay. I have a question. So she, it sounds yeah. like she's already painted this room twice. What's a tip or trick that you have for selecting the right paint color without going through the expense the and the time of, of keep, doing it keep all over again. It. Well, I would say it, it looks pretty good to me where she's landed in person if she doesn't like it. But my tip would be to get a sample pot and put that. She, she may have already done that, but I would get that sample pot. And we always put in our drawings, put a three foot by three foot square on the wall. And we asked the contractor to do that on the substrate it's going on. So on the drywall, and I love the trim that she has, you know, sort of that grid that's over the fireplace. You know, if she were to, in the future, do a sample pot first before she went down the road of actually painting the whole space. 
Yeah. You always have to test it. Yeah. And not just yeah. on one wall, but almost on every wall, because I feel like the yes. light hits one wall differently than it will another. Yeah. Well, and yeah. one thing that we do too, is you've got it. If you got a piece of drywall right. and you could move it, or if you didn't want to paint directly onto your, whatever, a loose piece that you could move around to see how it changes with the light. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I also feel like I sometimes hear from my, my friends, they're like, Oh, I, I put on, put on a, sw- I tested it on the wall, but you know, it, it actually looks more blue in the in the swatch card. So I'm just going to trust the swatch card. Like, don't do that. Yeah. Trust the swatch no. that is on the wall. Ignore no, every photo sure. you have seen of that color. Yeah. And yeah. just look change. at what you've got there. There's so much. And it'll look different on the four walls. I think they commented on the strong southern light and then the northern light of course is the opposite very soft and subtle so it's going to look completely different in one area or another you know i had a little bit of a different take when vivian and i were talking about it um the wall color did not jump out at me because uh, the the individual did share some pictures i felt to me like they were maybe asking the wall cover to help ground and organize the room and i felt like you know maybe there was something else that that they might consider that wasn't about the wall wall color maybe it was about the right rug that kind of knit the floor together or maybe a, a slight repositioning or editing of some of the pieces because most of the wall was obscured either with some wonderful windows there's some paneling in another section and then some other pieces and i wondered if what they were reacting to which they thought had to do with the right paint color choice might have had to do with just some other things in the room that that didn't make it feel as settled as they wanted it to. That, that did cross my mind. You know, every piece yeah. of the palette has a different role to play. Yeah, I think it's it looks pretty good, especially with the strong blues that are going on in there. Maybe she could, you know, angle the chair. You're seeing sort of the side of the chair as you walk in. On that, and I love the two windows flanking the fireplace. Maybe they get angled. Maybe everything's really orthogonal on her layout there. Maybe sort of curve. Maybe just pull things apart just a little bit and give it some air, because the space looks airy and amazing view of a what looks like very green backyard. Sort of maybe pull it apart a little and give it a little bit of air, as one thought, just on the seating layout. But I know she didn't ask us for that. So I think that's probably too pushy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think that speaks back to, you know, the inches matter. the Those proportions matter. So, yeah, maybe it's not too, the original question, but it's it's something else in there. And I would say, too, that's yeah. one thing that I, I do think we try to do is really understand the questions people ask. And, and sometimes the question turns out maybe not being exactly as precise as they wanted it to be, you know, and you find something else out by kind of trying to understand the nature of the question a little bit. Sometimes it's very clear and it's exactly what they were asking. But a lot of times we'll find out that they were kind of, there was something else that they were actually getting at that they didn't maybe know how to articulate at the first pass, which we've been married Mm -hmm. a long time. We have to do that with each other. It's like, is that really the question you wanted to ask me? Or (laughs) was there a different one? We've gotten better at that. (laughs) What are you really saying? And and again, it's back to the beginning. It takes time to sort through really, sometimes talking through it, sometimes thinking about it. We've done different things at the office where, you know, some people are really good just brainstorming. Some people want to think about it. And um, it sounds like Bev has really thought about it, which I love. 
And I, I mean, I think Seattle Miss, which is a color I know, I think it looks really good. Like she's got it. And I like all the blue accents. The only other thought would be, and I like the warm, a few little warm accents in there to warm it up. There's like some yellow, like yellow pillow. I like that. Maybe a little bit more of that yellow or terracotta might kind of warm it up a little too. Okay. Well, Bev, hopefully we've given you some good things to think about and you can let us know what to decide because we we want to see, we want to hear back from you. (laughs) Yeah. And one of the thoughts John and I had was to go very dark with the gray. And I will say one of my favorite grays is Iron Mountain. We've used it on the exterior and some interiors, but it's a very dark, warm gray. Looking on that, on the fan deck, some of those grays might might be of interest to her. But I think she's hit it with Seattle Mist already. All right. Well, that's good. That means she doesn't have to repaint. (laughs) (laughs) She's done. Okay. Well, Vivian and John, thank y'all so much for joining us and telling us all about your spaces. And I I hope that people can um, take some of the very smart and clever strategies that y'all use in your projects and apply them to their own homes because, and, and maybe go visit some of the restaurants you've done because they're, they're pretty fabulous too. Would y'all like to tell everyone where they can find you and follow you and see all of your work? We're on, I guess it's at Square Feet Studio. Our website is squarefeetstudio.com, just straight up. And Instagram, we're on at squarefeetstudio, just all running together. Twitter, we're not doing a whole lot of, but it's SQFT Studio. And Facebook, I think, is at squarefeetstudio.com. But we are mainly on Instagram. We're all, the office, most everyone has their own personal Instagrams. And of course, we love People following us at squarefeetstudio.com and we get so much inspiration on Instagram. So that's probably the best place to find us or our website. We're pretty good about updating the website. And you can find us on the Beltline if you're at Crog Street Market and Kevin <laughs> Rathman State because that's where our office is and the door's always open. Yes. <laughs> Seriously, you can go online and probably catch us having beers there in three hours. <laughs> yeah, we've got right. a patio that face, faces the Beltline. You'll see us if the weather's not too cold. It's patio season all the time in Atlanta. So we're out there Mm -hmm. from time to time. Well, that's great. I think I'll take you up on it. Yeah. Excellent. Anytime. Come by. And that's our show. You can find all of the show notes on our blog, howtodecorate.com slash podcast. To send in a decorating dilemma, email your questions to podcast at ballarddesigns.net so we can help you with your space. And of course, be sure to follow us on social media at Ballard Designs. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Until next time, happy Happy decorating. decorating!